This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time. On this week's show, we're embracing pride and celebrating love is love is love with a couple who are role models, figureheads and activists for the trans community and will be marching on four countum floats at London Pride this week. Every year, the LGBT community celebrates pride across the globe with various events that help to recognise the influence people from the LGBT community have had around the world. And there is no denying the influence and voice my guests this week have lent to the trans community. Jay Graff is a writer, director and actor who you may likely recognise from the film Colette with Kieran Knightley. Not too shabby. He's also the cover star of this month's Attitude magazine alongside Gokwan. Jake is a man born in the wrong body who decided to transition at the age of 28 and he campaigns for trans rights and education around the world. Alongside Jake is his wife Hannah Graff. Hannah is a woman born in the wrong body. She is also the highest ranking trans officer in the British Army, or was, until she left in December last year. She was recently and rightfully awarded an MBE. And since retiring from the army, she now works in advocacy for trans rights and education. And this year was named Stonewall's Trans Role Model of the Year for changing the army's policies and developing a new guideline on gender identity. They married last year, having met on Facebook, and are now looking to start a family. They very kindly allowed me into their home to record this show with them. Thank you both so much for having me, Jake and Hannah. Welcome to White Wine Question Time. Thank you so much for having us. Can I say that is the best research I have ever heard. <laughs> that so was pleased. stunning. Stunning. I'm so pleased. Thank you. Thank you. And you're very welcome to our home. Oh, and it's <laughs> lovely. I've turned up with some sparkling water because you're detoxing and a pride balloon. <laughs> what more does anyone need? Thank you for, I know this is such a busy time for you. Jake, we were talking off mic and you ran me through your schedule for the week. 
you make the royals look lazy. <laughs> it's a busy time of year for us, and it certainly has been for the last few weeks. We've done campaigns with River Island and um, yeah. all, all Things Hair, and we've done talks and we've done panels, and we've done. I'm doing a film screening of all of my films on Thursday in Soho, which is exciting, and uh, obviously leading up to the big day Saturday, where we yeah. will be slammed pretty much from about 8 a.m. with brunches and marching and hosting. And then we collapse at about 8 p.m. usually and uh, and have a well-earned drink. Uh, well, you are going to drink. You're going to come off the wagon, literally off the float. For pride, absolutely. I think we'll, <laughs> we'll take it very easy during the day. We've got okay. a few commitments to make sure that we uh, we don't mess around with. But after that, once everything's kind of died down a bit, yes. But you must also feel, um, with all eyes on you, that, that you can't put a foot wrong or, or say the wrong thing under the influence. Because... You are literally the power couple of the trans community and people do hang on your every word. That's a quite a responsibility, isn't it? Well, it's also the fact that we work with um, Mermaid's Charity, which obviously is a kids' charity. Yeah. And we also, not only for the, for the kids, are kind of some idea of a role model, but also for the parents. You know, we give hope to those parents that their kids are going to have positive, happy, healthy futures and therefore we can't be slurring our words <laughs> or, or stumbling around. But I was also, you know, I was in the army when I came into the public eye and so... You know, I was kind of very much representing the army's LGBT community whenever I was on screen or on, um, you know, my audio or whatever. And so that is an organization that's known for its discipline. It's, you know, it's proper nature. I was an officer. And so I've always I grew up through my kind of infancy in the media world having to be very, very careful. So and I think that we like it like that. We don't want to be too controversial. We just want to keep it nice and honest. keep it classy. As Lorraine Kelly said to us, said. keep it classy. And I think it's a good mantra to live wise by. Wise words be, be from a very honest. wise woman. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Keep it classy. Well, you've certainly done that. Um, before we, we get into the questions, what I wanted to know is how you found each other. How did your paths cross? I know Facebook was involved, um, but, but who liked who and who got the conversation started? So, I mean, this is a story that Hannah lets me tell, um, obviously, because I tell it much more accurately than Hannah does. Um, And we, this was back in December 2015. I was sitting at home one day writing and I'd I'd seen Hannah pop up on Lorraine and she had just been outed by one of our large red top newspapers um, for being trans in the army. And Lorraine had very kindly, supportively got her on the show to tell her story, honestly and and frankly. And um, I spotted her and I thought she looked very cute and, you know, she was quite assured, but very, very sweet, very shy, very modest, very unassuming and, and obviously hugely impressive with all everything she'd already achieved. And uh, a couple of weeks later, she popped up on my People You May Know on Facebook. So obviously I pressed God, hit the button. I thought algorithm yeah. was responsible. And so, so, so I gave her, gave her a little ad. And uh, within about an hour, I got a very sweet message from Hannah saying, Hi, Jake. I know we haven't met, but I've been watching your achievements with much interest. And uh, I think it's all very impressive. Uh, love to meet some point. Hannah. And I thought, you know, obviously <laughs> she's that's, qu- that's quite gutsy. Quite forward. <laughs> well, Hannah, you'd never dated up until until that point had you or no have- not at all and I, I like you know jake always tells this story he makes it sound like i like i answered him within the second like somebody- it was an hour yeah <laughs> so that's not strictly true um the bones of that story are true um but you can tell that jake's a writer because he likes to embellish so <laughs> there was definitely several days between that request coming in and me respond I'm responding sure to they it. Were, but, my love. but i could totally understand w- when i know your story as i do now um how you would have felt unconfident in trying to approach uh, a romantic relationship and yet for yet you did with jake what made him different quite hot isn't he he's hot <laughs> no it was when I, when I, that's embarrassing no um, it's not it's why? great it's honest it's very sweet thank you my love. Um, you love it um no it's so before, before i transitioned you know the idea of being intimate with someone else was just kind of crazy because i was so uncomfortable in my own body in my own position in society and it was all just too much i can't even imagine it you know I've, you know it was just it was not even on the cards and then even when i transitioned you know when you transition people think it's something that happens very quickly but it, t- it takes loads of time and you know transitions take two or three years and i think i've been in my transition about three years by the time i started dating jake and I'd really have to come to terms with what it meant to be a woman in society today, what it meant to, you know, in terms of clothes and finding what my identity as a woman, because even though I always inherently knew that I've been a woman, having not 
had the experience to go through life as a woman, I had a lot to learn, like, you know, young girls have to learn. So mm. in that time... And in a really condensed amount of time as well. Yeah, with the, with the, with the eyes of the world watching as well. So it was, it was quite intense. But um, Lots of six-inch heels and... <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of trans women do this. I definitely did. I wore a lot of high heels, lots of long, brightly coloured nails and short dresses and all the rest <laughs> of it. All those things that young teenage girls do. Because yeah. you're trying to find your place and, you know, doing it as an adult is... It's a bit awkward, but imagine this is what society tells us, right? This is what, yeah. you know, look at, you know, magazines and TV. I'll tell you what, this is what women look like. And so when I transitioned, I mean, I hadn't experienced living as a woman. I needed time to do that. Even though it's inherently my identity, I had to take time to do that. And so it took me a while. And then eventually um, I thought maybe I'm in a place where I could date. But even then I kind of ripped myself off. Um, and I said this to Jake that a few... When, when about about five weeks into our relationship, when we already had quite strong feelings for each other, and we were already sort of getting to that point where we tentatively said, "I really quite like you," <laughs> and uh, and Hannah told me very sadly, "Am I am I saying this?" Yeah, yeah, on, yeah. And Hannah said to me, "You know, it's it's weird because a couple of months ago I'd sort of resigned myself to spending the rest of my life alone." She said, "You know, I I was fine. I had my parents. I had my my job, and I had my friends, and I just had sort of resigned myself to as a trans person never finding anyone to love me and never you know feeling like I deserved love. And it was the mo one of the most heartbreaking things I'd ever heard that this beautiful, oh. impressive, kind-hearted woman would ever feel the need to cut herself off from from the potential of, of finding love and finding someone to to love her back." And how old were you at the time, Hannah? Um, what am I now? I'm 32 now. We 28. Were, yeah, 28. Wow. So f at 28, you would sort of subconsciously, if, if not consciously, decided that this, that you might spend the rest of your life alone. So when I was, so just when I was kind of, I, I, known I'm a, I knew I was transgender for, for quite a while, but at the point of actually starting to tell the world and maybe embark on actually mm -hmm. kind of some aspects of the medical transition, social transition, you have to ask yourself these questions. What do you want in life? Because you know that even though it's not you, I could have gone through life as a male and I could have had a, it would have been much easier to, to have relationships. People, you know, been a lot easier to go through life in terms of work and meeting people, etc. But I knew it wasn't me. And so at that time, I kind of made the decision to say, do you know what? This is so who I am and I can't live life not doing this. I'm willing to sacrifice. That was the trade. Yeah, that's I, I'll how I be saw alone, it at the time. but be my authentic self. Yeah, and that's what I thought I was trading. And now, obviously looking back on that, that was ridiculous. And, you know, I hope that, younger trans people out there or anyone from a marginalized community for that reason you know realize that everyone's worthy of love and everyone can everyone. have that but um yeah but that's what i that's what i genuinely thought because i thought you know i thought who could ever love me you know but i wonder what it was about jake that sparked that that kind of decision to go actually no i am worth love and i like this man and i'm going there well you know when he very keenly um added me on facebook <laughs> very, very keenly at the touch of one button yes yeah i could i could sense he pushed it really hard and the quickly. desperation uh, <laughs> no but like but when that came through i hadn't really thought about maybe dating a trans man but i'd seen jake he'd just been in the danish girl with eddie redmayne he'd kind of had his own yes. piece in the media at the time so i knew who he was um and I thought, obviously, you know, he's good looking, you know, he's handsome. And you can, I've seen a couple of interviews, he comes across very articulate, you know. And I thought, yes, I like the idea of this guy. But then I had the thought, which is that actually because he's trans, I don't necessarily have to worry about my voice. I don't have to worry about when I tell him I'm trans. Because trans people, especially trans women, can end up in this catch-22, which is that do you tell someone that you're trans before you go on a date with them, which usually ends up people going, no, thank you. Or do you tell them afterwards, then you're accused of hiding it from them so it's kind of no, it's a bit of a lose-lose situation yeah yeah which it never it never is but no. that's how people might perceive you, it it's a rock and a hard place isn't it totally totally damned if you do damned if you don't yeah and so i you know i just thought well actually that this cuts through all this because jake knows inherently who i am and it started off just not having to worry about these things but as our relationship developed it also became really helpful because like I said, transitions take years and kind of ongoing. And I still have my moments where I'm conscious about my voice or my appearance. And when I'm in those moments, I've, I've got a partner, I've got a husband who really understands that. He knows what to say and he's because he's felt it himself. And so mm. that kind of, I would never say that trans people should only date trans people. But for me, when I was so kind of nervous and conscious. reticent to go into that kind of dating world, it gave me an opportunity to go, actually, maybe I should go and date with this guy. And then obviously here we are four years later. But how wonderful that you found each other and you can be absolutely who you are with with no question about do i you know feeling self-conscious you can just be you is, is that is that is there just a sweet freedom in that 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I dated quite a lot before I met Hannah. You know, I'd, I'd had long-term relationships. I was within the... I was a big part of the lesbian scene for about 10 or 12 years in London. So I'd never had problems dating. And, and obviously... Met, you know, there were there were very sweet women that I that I was with, but they never really got who I was. Right. Um, and so when I was considering transition, one of the biggest things that held me back was whether or not I'd ever be anyone would be attracted to me again. So I had a similar thing to Hannah, but I kind of, you know, had a fair amount of of kind of luck in that area, I guess. So I spent a good year once I'd even decided that I needed to transition, thinking. God, what if now I end up alone after all this, all these lovely people? What if now I'm going to just be kind of cast aside? And and it was amazing that, you know, I, I dated post Hannah and sorry, I dated pre Hannah and then I met Hannah and Hannah just got it. You know, there was no explaining the dysphoria. There was no explaining the discomfort. There was no, you know, quite often with, with people who are not trans, which we call cisgender people. So when cisgender people that I was dating would say, oh, don't worry about your dysphoria. You know, I love your body or I think this or I think that. It doesn't really matter what they think at that point. You know, all you need is someone to just go, I get it. It's fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. And Hannah did that. We just, there was just this kind of unspoken um, understanding between ourselves. Is it a shorthand, do you think? It was amazing. I mean, I don't think anyone that's not trans can truly understand how it feels to be trans because it's such a unique experience. And obviously Hannah just did. And we just got each other. And it was honestly, it felt like a massive relief. Also, she was very attractive. She was very funny. She's hilarious. And, um, you know, she's, uh, we, we just, we just clicked. We both went out. We both liked to drink. Our first date lasted 11 hours. 11 we hours of drinking what? Tequila? Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we ended up in a little army military bar off Waterloo with, 80-year-old veteran sitting at a table next door playing cards as we sort of sat and smooched on a sofa. Aww. And, uh, you know, she I just thought, what an impressive woman that can get us into a bar at one in the morning. <laughs> so that was that was it, really. You've been hanging out with the wrong women. <laughs> I know, clearly. <laughs> I know a few of those. <laughs> but the, thing, the other thing is about the dating is that trans stuff is only an, an aspect of it. Jake touched on it, but which is that that stuff means that you can explore everything else so like the rest of your personality other people think about when they're dating like you know their likes their dislikes kind of how much you collect your are they kind are yeah they thoughtful? all those things are they intelligent do we laugh at the same things all of those things matter too yeah. and, and i really i was really um torn when i was structuring um this episode about my one part of me just thought I, I really want to give as much value back to an audience member who's listening to this who is uh, debating for themselves is this their path or a parent of somebody who is is transitioning because I think this is, this is such a this is such an important conversation but I didn't want it to be our only conversation because you are you are not just trans you are you are more than that we, we are have all we have lots to talk about exactly <laughs> so um so so you know do tell me to pipe down if I'm no, getting on your fine. I mean all of this is you know th this is Hannah and I do so many panels and so many talks and so many of these types of things where we're going into a room and we are basically educating people, giving people like yeah. their first encounter with someone transgender. You know, we are a small part of the population with 0.1%, they think, um, and only 8% of Americans, which I assume is a similar statistic for here, only 8% of Americans have actually knowingly met someone transgender, which means that most people don't know someone trans. And whereas most people can say they know someone gay or they know a lesbian or with us, if you don't know one of us, then you might fall into that trap of believing what the evil British media will tell you about us, that we are predatory, that we are mentally ill, that we don't know our own minds, that, you know, we're just confused people trying to live a lie. Obviously, we know that none of this is true. And we Do you know... really feel that that is still a badge that they try to attach? Oh, my oh, God. I mean, in the, last, yes. in the last 18 months, since the proposed Gender Recognition Act reforms were put out there, mm -hmm. the vitriol and the, the backlash, the furore that has happened, that has occurred throughout the British media, and not just the right-wing press, surprisingly, but also a lot of the left-wing press under the guise really? of free speech. Some of, the, um, some of the propaganda, some of the anti-trans hate and kind of rhetoric that's come out has is, is doing damage that will last many many years to come you know children that we know from the mermaid's charity being bullied at school mm. on a daily basis not just by peers but by teachers by other kids by parents and trans women that we know are pretty much on a daily basis either spat at or abused in the street some more violently when you look at the u.s and you know that the average life expectancy of a transgender woman of colour is 35 years old. So these poor black trans women are being murdered 
almost on murdered. a daily basis. Yeah, murdered by men who sadly fall in love with them, who are attracted to them, who fall in love with them or who are, want to be with them. And then someone finds out and then they're accused of being gay. Oh, you, that's really a man. That's really a dude. And then these men backed into a corner quite often lash out and murder the women, the very women that they're in love with. And it is absolutely terrifying when you see what's coming over from the US which is pretty much weekly reports of another young trans woman of colour being murdered sorry to get all heavy no but th this is why these this is such an important conversation because we we need to cut through that and I think this, this is generational it'll build and it'll build but this generation is I think there's a lot of fear you know, I think yeah. people get scared and they, they have but, strong reactions because they don't understand what they're reacting to but that yeah. is but that is ignorance that, but where is it born from? Because no kid is born prejudiced. They learn prejudice no. and they learn it from it society, from, they learn it from yeah. the parents and their friends and family, etc. Yeah. There are more there are more and more good examples coming up every 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 day. And you and you do hear about it, it's amazing. There is the counterpoint, which are still pockets of the UK um and wider across the world, obviously, where these things aren't happening. But you're absolutely right to be encouraged because a younger generation is looking for more equality in general. Like I did a, a piece of work for for the army doing some recruiting stuff, and I and I saw a, a statistic which is that younger generations now, when they're looking for employment, they want to work for a, a company or a business or an organisation that is more socially aware that it has showing more equality, even if they're not from the marginalised community or something like that. And it just goes to show that generally speaking the young generation I think is going to be much more open and then their kids will be even more so you're right I think there is hope out there we've but, got to fight for our quality but there yeah. is hope but that change doesn't come about without people like you two mm. oh. putting a voice <laughs> to it oh yeah but definitely yeah. Yeah. It, it really does we're great no you are you are There must be days when you think, oh, I just can't be doing this. I mean, str strange, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in 1980s London and I knew from the age of about probably two, two and a half, um, that I was male, that I was a boy. And obviously back then the word transgender didn't exist. Um, so what, what, what were you, what would you have been referred to had somebody tagged or labelled you I then? I think at best, and this was a time before mermaids, this was a time before the internet, this was a time before even my, my dear sweet parents who, had they known, had they understood, might have been supportive, but obviously had no idea of it. You know, mm. you would have heard the word probably transsexual. There was probably, it was probably around the time of the crying game. None of these representations were positive. Mm. And I would just, you know, I didn't know what I was. I just kept saying to my parents, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, and this is something that I knew unshakably and unwaveringly but obviously they just saw their little girl and I suppose had never had any real experience of what it was to be transgender and probably had no references around them no of course them. not no and thought thought god knows what they thought my mum stuck me in you know ever frillier and pinker dresses in a Did desperate she? attempt to make me into her little girl I grew more miserable it was all very difficult mm. but I think back then had I had any sort of hope any sort of role model anyone to look up to be it in the media be it on television be it in a film be it in a book that would have given me hope to kind mm. of you know know that there was a future where I would be where I am today married and happy and making something in my life and it is so important to Hannah and I that we are those role models to the kids today so you know we work with mermaids where the kids are every every age from sort of three to for those 19. that don't know about mermaids it's it's a it's a charity that helps young children who are yeah transgender, transgender. and gender non-conforming children yeah. and their families but and also support the families as well exactly. and it's that that bridge of education from one generation to the next that's so important right yeah and what you know when when I'm hugely honoured to, to, to work with them because, you know, when you go to one of those residentials, which in fact we're, we're due to go to one next weekend, and they have these uh, residentials every couple of months, every three or four months, where they get a big, I don't know, like a, an old school or a, an old stately home or a, an area where they, all their families come along and they have maybe 50 odd families. And, and, you know, you get brothers and sisters who it's also, let's not forget, hard for because they can be bullied at school for having yeah. a trans sibling. And, and these the focus kids, can always be away from... 
from them you know there's a lot of attention goes yeah, to the course, child that's transitioning it, so. absolutely but because yeah the light the light can only shine in one place when it's a conversation that yeah. everybody wants to have exactly. around family and that that starves the oxygen of the other children sometimes yeah, absolutely. Right? like in wonder with julia roberts great movie don't oh, know, of course but that is so my important son read the book. well that's it because it is so important to realize that you I are want not that the book only on the national curriculum absolutely, absolutely. and the yeah. film but w- the, the the way that these kids respond to being in a room or being in a home with 30 or 40 other trans kids, the little ones all kind of club together and just feel normal and run around and do their things. The teenagers might have their first <laughs> hand-holding or little awkward kiss or flirtation. Mm. The slightly older kids meet friends that they will have for life. And a lot of them at the age of 19, when they're no longer sort of part of the mermaid system, come back and volunteer. And it is absolutely, it gives me goosebumps when I think about it because it is one of the most beautiful things that these kids, even if it's only for a weekend here or there, it keeps them going. It makes them realise that they're not alone, that there is huge support out there and that they will find their place in society. For those people that don't have the voice that you have, you know, you both grew up not identifying with the body and, and the gender you were born in, um, in times that, as we've acknowledged, were nowhere near as progressive as the times we live in now. And hopefully nowhere near as progressive as the times we will go on to hopefully. live in. How did you find your emotional peace, your strength, your mental health um, and, and, and keeping your mental health in a good place whilst not being able to be your, your authentic selves? I mean, I, I, I really struggled. Obviously, I'm a bit <laughs> a bit older than Hannah. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was a really, really different landscape. With Hannah, things were slightly starting to turn. Uh, but I was born, you know, before there was the internet. So I was really very isolated, very, very alone. Mm. Um, and I grew up miserable. Um, puberty hit and I thought the world was going to come crashing down. I withdrew from my very kind and caring family. I became a little ball of rage and anger because I literally, you know, I had no one to turn to whatsoever. And uh, at the age of 15, 16, I found alcohol and drugs and fell into that in in quite a serious way. And I think genuinely for me, it was a form of self-medication because I'd gone through by that point 15 or 16 years of just feeling desperately miserable and lost and sad and angry and full of self-loathing. And I think had I not found that kind of crutch at that point, then I possibly wouldn't still be here now and not that I would ever advocate for the use of drink or drugs I think you know there are times when you fall into it because there is just no way to get through life otherwise and when I got to the age of 25 and met another trans man for the first time and obviously you know when you get to that when you spend 25 years of your life feeling like you are the only one out you're an island yeah yeah I I could by then times were so dark and thank god I met this guy in New York called Nico who was amazing and supportive and helpful and really kind of got me through and thank god when I came back and told my mother what was going on she was supportive from the get-go and said you know what are we going to do about this Uh and helped me leap across those NHS long, long waiting lists and help me with surgeries and hormones and everything else. And pretty much as soon as I knew that that's what was happening, that I was transitioning, I had no desire whatsoever to find that oblivion or to find that numbness anymore. And I dropped it almost overnight. People are like, wow, after 15 years, but literally... 15 years you'd self-medicated, you'd numbed that. I mean, quite heavily so. And I just didn't need it anymore and I just stopped and I started writing and I became productive and I started making films and I was directing and I was acting and I was I bec- I'd made a choice to be visible um, people said to me you know don't be the trans actor don't be the trans writer and I thought no I'm gonna do this because but, I needed but why not be that because that that is what you are absolutely no absolutely, absolutely. I, I hate that advice no I, I I'm just... sure it was well intended but that is when you finally find that place in your life where you can be truly who you are at your happiest why not shout it from yep. the rooftops yep. why not put it on the big screen yeah I, th- I, mean, I think people were concerned for me you know just like you don't want to be you know if someone said you know black writer blah blah or black actor idris elba or you know gay actor rupert everett you know people would go but with me obviously i'm always the trans writer or the trans actor or the trans and obviously that doesn't bother me because that's the position i've chosen to have and i know that it's very very encouraging for other young trans writers actors whatever but it would be lovely to at some point get to the point where we are just an actor. a writer, an actor. Yeah. And, you know, as I say, at the moment, you know, Hannah and I are the trans power couple. But it would be nice at some point if we were just a couple. Uh, Hannah, what about your own experiences during those those years where you were trying to, you knew that you, you, you weren't your right self, rightful self in terms of being authentic to who you are? 
but you still had to find that. I mean, you're in the army, for goodness sake. You, you don't get a more male environment, surely. And yet it turned out to be one of the most progressive places you could have hoped to have found yourself. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's undoubtedly a, a very male-dominated organisation, getting much, much better. Um, but I guess when you joined, I mean, just the male-female ratio, you're not talking 50-50, right? No, 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 no. no Nothing much, like? Much more men than women. I mean, when I was growing up, I... So my story isn't quite as dark as Jake's. And part of the reason for that is that I didn't know unequivocally I was a woman until later on in my life because I was really confused by society and my place in it. So, you know, society is really good at saying, right, this is a woman's activity, this is a men's activity. Mm. So if it's kind of makeup, dresses. You know, I was trying to explain this to my son the other night because we were watching The Lionesses. And yeah. he said, Mum, were you good at football at school? I said, we, we didn't play football at school. We had to play netball or yeah. hockey. And and now at my son's school, they have male and female football teams, quite rightly. But he just couldn't believe that I lived in a time literally where dinosaurs must have roamed the earth and black and white jellies <laughs> hadn't been invented because why wouldn't women play football? Yeah, it's crazy. So I I always had this kind of aspect of my femininity that I didn't really kind of like look into. I thought I didn't really, I knew it was who I was, but I couldn't quite rationalize it with myself and society but i also knew that i was really competitive i was very sporty i was very active i was very outdoorsy and these are all things that at the time society said yeah ticking the box for male stuff yeah and so that's what i did i threw myself into those activities so i did like scouts and um love running around outside love playing sports grew up in in south wales so loved rugby and all the rest of my dad's a cricketer so i love cricket so i did all of those things and i loved them and i enjoyed them not because i was a boy but because you know that's who you just i enjoyed am enjoyed them yeah um but then, were you living with that same torment that, that we assumed so, that you would have struggled with in your early Yeah, I mean, years? again, I, I wouldn't describe mine as torment because I threw myself, I kind of locked it away, right? So that part of myself that was the kind of, you know, the female in me, I locked it away and said, I can't deal with that. Society has, has made it abundantly clear to me, even at a very young age, that as a man, I cannot do those things. So I'm not going to do them. I'm going to throw myself into this other stuff. And that's what I did. I kind of kept myself busy. Obviously, mm. as I got older, becoming, you know, a teenager, then I started to kind of look into that area again and, and draw out of it. And I, I used to spend a lot of time um, when I could in a lot of parents go away for a weekend or something like that or, you know, for, for the night. And I would lock myself in the room, you know, and I would you know try and grab some makeup and clothes or whatever. And I'd try them on because that's, you know, that young age, that's what I thought being a woman was and that, you know, kind of, did that make you feel calmer, happier? How did that make you feel? Was there, was there a kind of therapy to that? I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And it was kind of the things which is that um, it, it felt exhilarating to kind of feel like yourself and feel yeah. like naturally you. But it, come, it came with a great deal of fear because mm. um, someone could come home any moment and, and that happened once think? with my brother. Yeah. My brother, what a saint he was. He never said a single word. Oh, your brother came home once? And yeah, yeah, he did. And, yeah. and what did he? How, well, how did he respond to me? He didn't say anything at the time, and then like a couple of days later, he came up to me and said, um, "Can I just talk about that?" I was like, "Nope," <laughs> and he didn't mention it again. So you just um, cut him dead for about ten years. Really? And he but just he, kept it to himself. He ca he carried your secret. Yeah, yeah. I, I could always trust my brother. For stuff he, like he's that. He the a, sweetest guy. He's the most amazing man. Oh, I love good, him. Good guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just kind of just put it to one side. But then obviously, as you get older. Um, I had did more of that kind of stuff and I kind of realized then I had access to the internet do my research there was a few transgender people starting to be known in the media there was like Nadia in the big brother house that kind of stuff it's, I love Nadia she's fabulous people were so horrible about her do you remember in the newspapers they called they her were? Portuguese oh my god and this yeah. poor woman who mm. was kind of torn apart but then she won she won and that for me was one of the one of that the must have been a moment when I felt hope and we, I remember we were all watching I think in one of the bars in Soho and she won and I remember again it's giving me goosebumps because this was the first time I had ever seen someone transgender be embraced as opposed love. to I mean, she was Supported. being derided and torn apart by the nasty, red-top, horrible papers. But the general public of the UK voted this woman. And this was at a time when Big Brother was really popular. Yeah, and it was powerful, it, in their it? droves, in their millions, mm. voted for her to win. Yeah. And I think for the first time, I, I thought... Because I don't think people <sighs> saw her gender. Mm. They just saw a person that they thought was... Hilarious. Really nice. Hilarious. Really funny. Loopy. Great heart. <laughs> yep. Very entertaining. 
Do you know what? I'd like to hang out with her. Absolutely. That's the, I think, and th- sometimes I think people are no more complicated than that. Yeah, yep. I really don't. So when you saw Nadia, did you think, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I <laughs> Hello. it wasn't, I think it was like, like Jake where I saw myself for the first time. Like I said, I had the internet, I'd done my research and I kind of, I knew a bit about myself. What I was really battling with was that, how could I possibly do this? So by the time I found out, I worked out for myself that I was transgender. Like I say, I, I, there were other people around, so I knew that it was something that you could do. By that time, I'd already signed up to join the army. And I, you know, I was like, you know, I can't be a trans woman in the army. That'd be crazy. And no, I went to Santos and I was in an all-male platoon. Um, and I, while I was there, I obviously got very fit and like I got very broad shoulders and, and and all the rest of it, which kind of was difficult. But kind of, I just kind of managed it. So, at what point did you think, okay, actually, this is this is an environment that is tolerant enough for me to take this huge step? Once you decided that. You were where, where you were serving in Afghanistan. Am I right? There's lots of really quiet time. There are times when it's really intense, um, mm. and you know it's very high adrenaline. But there's also lots of time to sit and reflect. And you're away from your family. You're away from your your friends. And so it had this real quiet moments. And in those moments, I really kind of looked inside and thought, "This is pretty horrible. Like I can't be myself at all. I'm stuck out here. I can't talk to anyone. I don't want to do this." And so. I kind of told myself when I was there, when I come home, I would do something about it. And that's what I did. I kind of came back and I slowly put some feelers out there with some of the medical officers. And eventually I, I came out and told my commanding officer that I was trans. And I was really lucky that um, he was super supportive. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know did what to... Did he not? But what did, what, what did he say to you when you, when you revealed... Well, what he actually <laughs> said was like, okay, did you know I'm gay? Um <laughs> Did he? Yeah, and it was it was uh, good man. Yeah, this so this was a this was we're a everywhere, you know. <laughs> of course. Um, I mean, he, the one of the things that he was really peed off about was the fact that I didn't know he was gay because he, like we are, I was trying to be a role model, and he wanted people to know that he was gay so that other people knew that it's possible to be gay in the army. And I asked one of my head officers, like, why didn't you tell me he was gay? And she went, oh. I didn't really think about it. It's not really that important, is it? No. Which it's not. Which but at is the same exactly time, I was like, right I wish you bloody told me. Um, <laughs> Particularly because you were living as a gay man at the time, weren't you? With oh, yeah. the army. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it like, would have been quite pertinent. Yeah. So, um, but no, but he just said, look, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to do, um, but I know it's okay and I'll help you. We'll work it out. Thank God, though, that you had, you found the right person at that moment to help you take what had been a very brave decision forward what are the kind of questions that you would most commonly come up against at that point for both of you i mean people don't understand what it is to be trans people you know as i say in in the in the press a lot of the time today you would read that it's a choice that it's a a perversion that it's a mental illness that this is people who you know sort of want to live as you know for for instance at the moment there's this sort of weird weird kind of rhetoric out there that Obviously, trans women are very predatory, that they are just men who want to go into women's spaces and kind of, you know, do terrible things to to women and kids. And then trans men are completely invisible because obviously if Hannah shouldn't be in a woman's space, then it means that I should. And obviously me lurking in a woman's space is the last thing that most women would want. So I don't even feature. This is why trans men have historically been so invisible within the media, within the kind of press, because... Trans guys, obviously, as as you can see me, our, our listeners can't can't see me, but you know, you would never know walking down the street that I was transgender. No. Whereas for a lot of trans women, because of their height or because of their physicality, because they may have an Adam's apple, because they may have slightly deeper voice or bigger hands, or historically, trans women have had to be much more visible and have to, had to fight those fights for us all because they haven't had the choice of kind of living that what it's called it's a stealth lifestyle where you sort of slip under the radar and live that quiet life. So, you know, for, for me, it's obviously been a lot easier in some respects, but then there is this belief that I'm just a lesbian who's very confused. And in order to fit into the patriarchy, I have taken hormones to become a man because that seemed like the obvious answer. You know, it's tough being a woman. So I thought, hell, why, why not just take some testosterone and be a, be a guy? So, you know, there's a lot of really confusing rhetoric out there obviously that we know is nonsensical because I've just known since I was two years old with no kind of external input or agenda or um, even knowledge of what I was that I was a boy just as Hannah you know always knew there was something slightly different about her and obviously when she realized what it was it's just who we are you know I spent lots of you know hours talking about um, 
relationships, about um, what operations um, I wanted to have, what hormones did, how did my strength. And I know I know a lot of people, and you know, for anyone who's listening, these are questions that you should be very careful about asking if you're you know talking to a trans person. You should at least absolutely you, you should be careful and make sure that you have the right relationship with the person to ask those questions. And if you're not sure, you should always ask. They are deeply personal. And yeah. never ask about genitals. We've literally yeah. been sat sitting over dinner with journalists, different journalists from different publications. And, you know, you're, you're enjoying a duck confit and it's all very convivial and all very pleasant. And then they'll turn and say, so tell us about your genitals and how have they changed? And obviously, you know, that the room goes silent and you think, oh, come on. I mean, would you ask that of anyone else that you were interviewing ever? Did really ask you that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That, that's, a, that's a genuine thing that I've been asked. Yeah. You know, I think you and I have been very careful about saying that there shouldn't be things apart yeah, from obviously true. genital, genital questions because you wouldn't ask anyone about their genitals but i think you know it's very important that we don't have a you know you're not allowed to yeah, do yeah. this because obviously it's that that sort of um kind of almost policing of what you're allowed to ask and what you're not that puts up walls and divisions because you know if you meet someone trans most people have never met someone trans before and i think so long as you've got a relationship where you can say would you mind if i asked you some questions i don't understand what it means i don't really know what it is to be trans or anything about your experience would it be okay to ask you some questions and so long as it's done respectfully i think that's how we sort of bridge those gaps and yeah. that's how we knock down those walls and that's how we make relationships and build Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Build understanding and build acceptance. So I, I don't think there should be anything you're not allowed to ask, but yeah. I think it's the way you ask and the way you want to learn. And um, so long as it comes with positivity, general desire to understand as opposed I think, to I think and also your, understand the relationship with the person right absolutely yeah. so absolutely. like if this is someone you just met in the street it's yeah. very different from someone you've known for that. 10 years and, also, and on the flip side that when you do open up and you do allow those questions to be asked people learn and they understand and you know like some of those people who you know in my experience in, in the army were originally a little bit like wary of me not wanting to talk to me became my biggest allies like and then there was a I had an incident in, in London where someone had been rude to me in public and I was with the some, some of the guys I was with from that regiment and I was just you know they just stop you know ring a steel up this yeah. is not happening you know yeah. you're one of us sort of thing and it was just that kind of moment going not only are you willing to stand up for me when we're in our private bar in or you know in work or whatever when we're in public amongst other people you're still willing to be that ally and they wouldn't have been I don't think if I hadn't been able to be open with them yeah and so yeah I think if the more open we can be as a transgender transgender community when there is so much misinformation about us, the better. I think. And, and it's interesting you say that, actually, because quite often we're asked, you know, as allies, what can we do? As people who are open to trans people, as people who want to be supportive, what can we possibly do? And it's those sort of things. There is so much still putting down of trans people, casual transphobia, humour, not that we, we would see it as humour, but, you know, around being transgender. And if anyone, if we can give any advice to, to allies... It's just don't let that go unchecked. Don't let that go unnoticed and don't yeah. let that go unchallenged because it is that transphobia that, you know, someone else can hear and someone who you may not realize is transgender, someone who's thinking about it, someone who's wondering if they're going to be safe in their workplace or accepted within their friendship group. And if they hear it go unchecked, you know, oh, it's just a, a man in a dress. Oh, it's disgusting. Oh, them trannies. Or, you know, if they hear that, they'll know or they will feel that they are not safe to come out. And it could put someone off transitioning for five or 10 years as it did me so I think it's really important as an ally if you feel that you are supportive and if you feel that you are open and accepting then certainly stand up for it and allow people to know that it will not be tolerated good Need that glass of white wine now. <laughs> Come, on, let's get off the detox. <laughs> God, look at you, enabler. Christ. <laughs> oh, now it's oh, name calling. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is a dirty word, isn't it? An a- yeah. An it's like a feeder. I'm also that. If you came to my house, you'd, you'd leave a stone here. I mean, there is no, you wouldn't even have to push it on Hannah and I. God, good God, do we I eat? Do, do we know, eat? Even before I came here tonight, I thought, oh, um, I'll quickly water the garden. And I realised I was stood there watering the garden. I thought, I even overfeed the garden. I've literally ground <laughs> these flowers. I know. Uh, what's wrong with me? Why do I have to just over, overdo everything? I've killed all my succulents in the last week. Before we went away to America, I overwatered all my succulents and came back and they were all dead. They've all gone now. Cause tell was... you what, Amanda Holden does a lovely fake succulent on QVC. How I will get to send you some. They are was... truly fantastic. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Honestly, she sent me her succulent and I was like, wow, that... So that I, is that is beauty. I can I just check it? Are we talking in, in innuendo here? No, or? genuinely a succulent. <laughs> Amanda like, Holden's succulent. I do like a succulent. Available from Cupid. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the language that people use and fearful of putting their foot in it or how can I be an ally? I think I think something that would be really helpful to understand is process. When you talk about transitioning, because everybody's process, I would imagine, as you've alluded, Hannah, is so personal. Um, And I wanted to understand certainly what the process is in terms of not the legalities of it, but how how that process works. So as I understand it, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, um, people who want to change their gender by law need to have a doctor's diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Dysphoria, Dysphoria, sorry. And, and they have to prove that they have lived in their chosen gender for two years. So that is specifically for what is called the Gender Recognition Certificate. So, What, um, what does that even mean? So the Gender Recognition, gender recognition Certificate is a mouthful. Which I have and Hannah doesn't I can't have. Even say so, so yeah, great example. So Jake has one, I don't. Right. Um, and, and, what, and why is that? So well, if I, let me explain what it is for a second. Yeah. So it is essentially the documentation that allows you to change your birth certificate from one gender to another. Right. And and all that means is that in the eyes of the law, you can absolutely bury your past. So you can remove any kind of um, gendered kind of past and it allows you to live your life in your new gender. And unless you choose to tell someone or they can tell from talking to you, like me in my low voice, for example, no one would ever know that you're trans. But that is at the very end of the, the process. So what's most important to sort of the process of transitioning is being accepted in your gender. So like, for example, I don't have a gender recognition certificate, but I do have a passport. Do you have my driver's license? Have all my, you know, bank details, everything like that is in my, you know, female gender. And that, you t- you still need a um, a note from your, your doctor to say this is something that is a genuine, genuine medical need for. You still need to, you know, if you want to change your name by Depol, etc. But that's all but you need. But a lot of places you don't anymore, though. Things have, there are a lot of things that have changed in the last few years. This, yeah, and this you, is what I was hoping to understand because thankfully things are changing really mm, quickly. Yep. And hopefully for the better. But what happens if you don't have a GP that gets it, that isn't supportive? We hear that more and more often. You that know, worries are, me. There are a lot of GPs that will still dig their heels in and say that they're inexperienced, therefore they can't help, that they are reluctant to help, that they don't believe in it. You know, we hear more and more from not only kids, but from adults going to their doctors, speaking to their GPs, and their GPs just kind of closing the, the, the shutters. And I think the answer is find a new GP because there are there is still a lot of prejudice out there. There is still a lot of misunderstanding. There is still a lot of intolerance um, or lack of acceptance for people. Well, do you think people. sometimes it's somebody feeling that that is too great a weight of responsibility without being fully informed to be able to assist you in that process yeah am i being charitable there i, I, I think, think i think you're being a little bit charitable okay because like so i the reason i, I said i was looking for the half cup the <laughs> yeah. cup half full no but okay the vast majority of people out, out there and i'm sure the vast majority of gps you know in the nhs and elsewhere are amazingly dedicated hard-working people that are doing their best to help all of their patients however you know having done some work with this within the military and elsewhere, um, it's absolutely the case that some people refuse to treat trans people because they say they're not qualified or they Mm. don't have the right training and education. However, you know, the NHS would expect them for something else to clear themselves up on it. So, you know, if someone turns up in a GP and says, you know, this is my medical need, just because you haven't had specific medical training on that, you'd be expected to to do some research and help the patient so rather your than hope, to say, I'm not doing it. Your hope would be, okay, listen, I don't feel fully informed. However, give me a week, yeah. 10 days. Let's regroup and let me go away yeah. and find as many facts and as much information as I can. Yeah. And we'll go from there. So if if it, if it's say exa- exactly that, or even if, like, and I, this is where 
you know, I wouldn't want it to be this way. But even if a GP felt like, for whatever reason, they could not, through their ethical standards or whatever, feel like they could do something like that, they should still have the responsibility to make sure you have access to someone who will do it for we'll you. Refer you on. Yeah, and just say, do you know what? I'm not the right doctor for you, but I will find the right doctor for you. Okay, so Yahoo ran a poll. And it was with MPs asking if they support the right of transgender people to self-identify. Only 39% of MPs supported self-identification. 33% opposed it. And the rest said they didn't know. There are lots of different thoughts, schools of thought on this. When I transitioned, you know, when I sort of did my medical transition, because it's also important to say that a lot of trans people choose not to medically transition. A lot of trans people choose not to have surgeries. We, Hannah and I, both chose to, to do those things because that's what would have made us, you know, what want, was going to make us feel happy in, our, in ourselves. Um, but, you know, when I started my medical transition, within about a year, I didn't have anyone else to talk to. You know, my, my one trans friend was back in the US. So I very much kind of navigated it on my own. And I would read books and get told basically by my counsellor and by my doctor, you know, what the next steps were. So, you know, I was told you took your hormones, you had your top surgeries, you had your surgeries, you then applied for your gender recognition certificate. And I was just told that this was the way that it was done mm. because obviously historically that was the way that it had been done you know trans women and largely trans women who kind of blaze those trails behind me this is what they had done and so I was told that that's what I did so I put together my paperwork and I sent it off to a board of probably four or five faceless probably cisgender white guys who I would never meet who would never meet me for them to read through my paperwork and deem me male enough to have that stamp, I guess, um, where they would send me this information back, a gender recognition certificate, which I now still have. And I basically got my paperwork back. I thought, great, I've passed the test. I'm man enough, yay. And uh, that then meant that I could send this gender recognition certificate off and have my birth certificate officially changed, which, strange enough, my mother, who'd been supportive throughout, did. This was one thing that slightly stuck in her craw, and she did say, doesn't that feel like rewriting history? And I said, well, no, mum, because to me, I've always been a boy. And she knows this because she, when I came out, you know, she went back over old Father's Day and Mother's Day cards that I'd drawn when I was six and seven and eight and nine and 12, what I'd always signed as a boy's name, always different boy's names, you know, Charles and Frank and, you know, <laughs> Dirk. Dirk. Ooh, ooh, but I think I was... That's the guy off the A-team. That's yes! exactly right. Okay. I loved him face. Exactly. So I was Dirk. Um, you know, I call myself face for short, but mostly Dirk. And, and so my mum knew that this was something that had literally you know, caused me this problems, these problems all my life. But that was one thing that to her felt a little bit, I mean, my mum still very sweetly misgenders me. We were in Spain last week and she occasionally calls me she or her or as, her. My, as my mum sometimes calls, calls me with, with me. again, with no, really? with, with no malice, just because that's how they've always, you know, that's how they've always <laughs> they, known they brought us. brought us up that way and live with us for like, you know, decades. Yeah. You know, some habits just, just, just come out. It yeah. just, it is. They can't help it. And as you know, and I remember also. Just, and you know, there's no malice behind no, it. No, of course oh, not. And, cool. and, and very quickly before we sort of go back to, and I'll finish off about the gender recognition certificate, but you know, I remember my mum saying to me about two or three years into transition that she was very happy for me and she could see how, I was now starting to finally be happy in myself and my body and to gain confidence. But she did say, you know, for many, many months, she cried for her little girl, which was heartbreaking. Um, and I know she probably still, there may be a part of her, although probably not because I was a nightmare when I was living as a girl. Now I'm actually productive, married and, you know, happy. trying for a family. Yeah. But for, with the general recognition certificate, you know, for me to have my birth certificate in my correct gender meant the world to me. And because I had no one saying, well, don't do it, it's bureaucracy, it's dehumanizing, it's this and that, I went ahead and I did it. And I'm glad that I did it and I'm glad I have it. Now, there's also obviously a, a school of thought that that is um, degrading, that we shouldn't have to have anyone validate us. But then there's also another sort of flip side to that, that if we were all able to, to self-ID, then would we be taken seriously? Because obviously, you know, I had to go to a to counsellor to be kind of, you know, um, to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And when that person, when that doctor said, yes, you have got gender dysphoria, it did feel like a huge relief because I sat there thinking, is he going to believe me? Is he going to believe me? And when he did, this doctor, I felt such a relief that all that I'd felt all my life wasn't me being a little bit, you know, crazy or mentally ill or that I genuinely had a condition that was recognized by the general medical 
council. Uh, so council. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, Hannah chose not to do that. And a lot of people don't want to do that, which is absolutely their choice. But I, I do, you know, much as I think we should have the right to self-ID, I do also feel that there will be less belief in us because people don't get it. And I think that people will think, which they do, that people will make the most of this system, that people will abuse the system, that, you know, which we know not to be true. Again, we have seen in Ireland there's self-ID, in Portugal there's self-ID, in Denmark there's self-ID, in many other countries there is self-identification without any, in fact, in Ireland, strange enough, without any incident whatsoever. However, there is always going to be that minority that argues that predators will then use that self-identification to allow them as men not trans people but as men to be presenting as women in women's spaces and to abuse that which, right which just by the way if you've ever been to into a space and had to show your birth certificate to get in there you know this is not something that's the whole all those arguments are ludicrous you know yep. which is that well know, they're, they're, what, they're ignorant right yeah. yeah if you can tell me one instance where you've had to show your birth certificate to go into the loo then yeah. I'll concede that you may have a point. But as you realise that that's not the case, you think this doesn't change anything. There are laws to protect people against predators. You know, those are the laws that exist for those reasons. You know, This is not a law about that. It, I do find it frustrating. But, but Jake's right. I think one of the difficult things around the debate that came out of the whole Gender Recognition Act kind of reform um, consultation is that we we went to division into camps straight away. So there was a lot of people who said, right, we don't like this because of all these reasons and we're going to put out this these this kind of misinformation, these arguments, and therefore the transgender community said, well, no, because it's got to be this. And all of a sudden, you've got two very polarised views. Um, and a huge void in the middle where yeah. nothing happens. But the void in the middle is where the conversation really is because we do have to make sure that people who don't understand what it's like to be transgender understand what it is that the law is changing to. But... They've, but on, on both sides, we've got to make sure that we're there to listen and understand and explain. But then people have got to come to the party actually wanting to listen, learn and understand. Exactly. And unfortunately, you know, these people that are putting out these, this information that Jake's talking about are not like that. They are anti-trans campaigners. They have decided up front they don't like trans people. They don't want us to exist and they'd rather we went away. And they're campaigning for that and they're using misinformation and lies to do that. And that's 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 the challenging thing. And that's the and that's not just unique to the trans community. You could look at that from Brexit or many other debates, yes. which is the it's certainly in the day of social media become a very polarized Let's not um, get onto Brexit for God's sake. No. Can I ask you both very quickly, have you ever considered moving into politics? Because I think <laughs> you would be superb hell no <laughs> good god we, we have our we have our, our hands more than full and i've been asked before not as in like not been asked to do it but i've asked people have asked me have you, i think have you you'd be I, th I really do think that you could affect change we, we are affecting change kate that's what we're doing but, right here right now i know you are but I, I i you know i would i would like to see you represented hannah for prime minister you are hugely impressive hannah you really are. You must She's never, all right. Don't, don't, don't give her a big Jake, head, Kate. Pint down. She's <laughs> bloody awesome. <laughs> yes, we need to have discussion. I think rather than debate, because the word debate, we've had so many debates about our existence yeah. and our right to live and our right to be and Hannah's right to be in a woman's bathroom. And, you know, there's there's been so many debates. And, you know, again, the media uses these, but we must have balance. So it usually ends up being a trans person and some incredible transphobe. And there's a debate about whether or not Hannah can be in a woman's changing room or so on. So I think, you know, there needs to be that discussion, but I think there are there needs to be understanding. And and again, as we said before, unless you're trans, you don't really understand what it is to be trans. Unless mm. you've been a trans kid begging, pleading, praying to a God that you don't even know exists, that, that someone's going to help you. I think, you know, it's if you're a parent who has lost a child because they've got to that point where they can't beg anymore and they've taken their own lives mm. and that happens much more often than you would know. And it's then that the parents kind of go, oh, I wish I'd listened. Yeah. Well, by then it's too late. And I think it would be really great if we all got to a point where rather than have those kids push to killing themselves which happens really really often within the trans community um, both as children and as adults because it's a really really hard existence quite often I think it would be really nice if we could have those conversations first and maybe rather than push those kids just afford them that luxury of an extra couple of years rather than them finding themselves in a, in a desperate spot yeah so we have been talking for um, almost two hours now and we haven't even had a chance to scratch the surface um and talk about who you are 
to each other, who you are as individuals. And um, I think we're going to turn this into a two-parter. <laughs> so we're going to have to sign off for now, but we will be back next week with Jake and Hannah where this really important conversation continues um, at the very end, the tail end of, of Pride Month. Uh, so join us next week. As always, this podcast has been produced by Caitlin Mercer for Yahoo with me, Kate Thornton. Music is provided by Andy Bell, who has new music out, a solo album, no less, uh, under the guise of Glock. You can find that on iTunes. And if you would like to speak with Jake or Hannah on Instagram, then here's the handles to follow. Uh, I am at, at HannahW253. And I'm um, Jake underscore graph with one F five. So Jake underscore graph five. And I'm guessing that you do check your DMs. Lots. Thank you. For once, I don't have to say, please drink responsibly because I haven't touched a drop. Um, you, you're happy to stay on and talk more? Totally. I don't think you've got a choice. I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs>